Yeah, I'll put my eye to the eyepiece. You first see is a blurry blue circle as we know it today mm. is a planet. Mm-hmm. There's a, at the end of this month, there's a meeting of the Astronomy Society. And I think, I think if we can, if we can finish up our paper, it would be the perfect time to present it. Mm. Remember, no weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he steps out onto the stage. And now we continue. hush starts to fall over the audience. He makes his way to the center and gestures to you to come up to the slide board. Yeah. Ladies, gentlemen, academics, I welcome you here. Today, I am going to tell you all the truth about the universe. And you hear someone in the background, like you did last time. (laughs) (laughs) There are some stars in the sky that aren't what we all thought they were. And he gestures to you, Harold, to reveal the first, the first slide. Yep. Um, Now I'm going to get him to roll a persuasion roll here as he begins Mm -hmm. to talk about the wandering stars and how they are, what, what they have, what people thought they were originally and what his evidence suggests they are now. Um, so he has advantage on that, um, for okay. enhanced ability. Um, but good because his first roll is a one. Yeah. Um, so how, how often, how often is he going to roll? I suppose like, is he going to have to roll again later? So he'll roll again at when he reaches his conclusion statement at the end of right. the then presentation. Anticipating, I suppose, through the universe, the importance of this discussion and and sensing the room, I will additionally grant him a d6 to this roll using my cosmic omen, mm-hmm. uh, okay. which allows me know? three times a day because I ro- I rolled even this morning to uh, when an, when a creature is about to make an attack roll, a saving throw, or an ability check, I can use my reaction to roll a d6. Okay, I roll a d6. All right, I mm-hmm. I will roll a d6. Oh, one. But it's still an extra one, so that's nice. Okay. So he rolled, unfortunately, even though with advantage, low. Mm. So he only rolls a 10. Uh, with plus one, so an 11. So his his nerves must be getting to him as he mm. makes his way through, like, the background information um, for his presentation. And you can see... The, the energy in the room 
is building their people in the back, passing notes. There's this um, half-elf academic and his uh, assistant, like, taking notes down as well. And you've they've got a, a bunch of people, like, um, chewing popcorn and, like, you know, sliding in their snide remarks mm-hmm. as the presentation goes on. But Professor Cakestone like pushes through uh, and at the end of the, the 15 minutes of showing the observations that uh, you and he took up on the Wandering Peak, yep. the, the historical evidence about what these things are and how they move in a way that is different and... Uh, incongruent. Uh, it, it does not match the other way stars travel through the sky, the yeah, way that right. comets and things move. It they they have to be something different to a right. star. Like there's the retrograde motion in the sky, and yeah, the way yeah. they they the way that they, they move in one direction for a season and change. Like it doesn't it doesn't match up to anything else in the sky in the sky. And all the wandering stars seem to have a similar motion, but some of them travel much slower possibly implying different speeds or different distances. Yep. Um, and combine that with the the observation of the the planet that you've seen. Uh, he comes to his conclusion. As he's and coming that is, to oh, his sorry. conclusion, can mm. I vibe check on the... Can I keep an eye on the guy at the front? Grumpy yep. face um, with the folded arm. Give me an a insight. 16. This guy is just like, he's, his, uh, his arms are even tighter across his chest. He's like shaking his head in disapproval. How far away is he from me? Uh, he would be, we'll say two rows in front of you. So like less than 30 feet is kind of the question oh, yeah. I'm asking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um... Oh, I just need to know that. It's fine. Interesting. Okay. Thanks. Uh, as Professor Kickstone reaches his conclusions, concluding statement, with all this evidence, how can we say that these objects are indeed stars anymore? They are something different. I propose they are planets, a word which here means another body like our own, another world like our own. It's the only reasonable explanation. And uh, you, know, you pull to your last slide, Harold. Yep. And he makes <clears throat> a persuasion roll. All right. I will. Ooh, I rolled a six. Okay. And he's rolling yeah, with advantage. Yeah. yeah. All right. So 19 plus his persuasion of three. 22. Plus six. Yeah. 28. <laughs> 28. What a role. The audience, you can see uh, from down here, maybe like the lights a little bit in your eyes, but you can see that a lot of the audience, like they're nodding their heads. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like that, this all makes sense. There are some of these people who knew nothing before this presentation and they're yeah. like, sounds completely reasonable to me. Yeah. But you notice there's still a distinct camp of people like right in the center who are all like, there's like six of them and they've all got their arms crossed and their shoulders are up and they are just unhappy 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Professor Kickstone, are there any questions that you have for myself and uh, Mr. Wentworth here? And you know, there's a there's someone says, and you really saw them. I. We saw, we've, we've, we've been able to observe one so far, but we have plans to observe more. Don't we, Harold? It looks to you. Yes. So, uh, you know, we were lucky to get a very clear night and uh, Kegstone is very talented when it comes to optics. Uh, and I can confirm that that's exactly w- what I saw that night uh, uh, amongst a few other people who were on our, our troop. And there's, you know, some, some murmurs of affirmation around someone from the audience. Do you think there are people on who live there? People like us? Well, that's not what I'm saying. We don't know if anyone lives on these worlds. They might be a completely different kinds of environments to what we have here. But maybe... And that, you know, elicits more, more um, murmuring. And then there's this Mm -hmm. (laughs) slow clapping coming from this academic who you've been eyeing. And the, the murmuring kind of comes down and he stands up slowly. Well, Professor Kegstone, that's... I have to tip my hat to you this has been a very well thought out and reasonable presentation on something that i will say is complete nonsense what you have proposed here goes against millennia of observations and understanding of how we understand the universe one observation of this this wandering star and you're upturning all that well it's not just one observation if you can if you draw your back to the historical evidence and the motion of these stars the motion of the stars has been well documented even after the settling We know how they move in strange ways. And it is the God's divine will that they do so. The universe is a strange place. There are planes of existence out there where you may travel and everything is on fire. What what then is the, the fact that some of these stars move in strange ways? How does that compare? Listen, just because there are planes out there entirely on fire doesn't mean that we can't explain how they work and how the things in the material plane move and work. Everything can be explained with fundamental laws. And you can see that there's this this rising group of tension uh, in the audience. Um, Harold, do you interject at all as Harold, as Professor Cakestone and this academic 
start like these aren't questions anymore this is mm-hmm. this is, a, this is a, a dialogue between them um yeah i'll say so let me ask you as a scientist and academic you often just put your faith in the gods instead of your explanations is that how you operate a fine point young academic but the gods are real their presence is felt in the world we can't deny that but you can't pick and choose which observations you choose to be natural and which you don't surely otherwise why not just describe everything to the gods and nothing is natural he uses prestidigitation to change the color of his shirt mm-hmm. would you consider that to be natural could potentially just magically change it back Using prestidigitation, just change the colour of the shirt straight back. Yeah, you can do that. Um, he He's not paying attention to it. No, at this it's point. not for it's not for him. <laughs> can I just say that Meredith right now is um, she's like, Kegstone's got this. Harold, Harold's got yeah. this. I'm just going to sit back and oh. munch on my um, my trail mix. And she's like, um, num, num. yeah, no, Potentia's doing it actually so that so, for the rest of the audience's sake, not for. Mm-hmm. The academic's sake. The world has magic. It has gods. Stars that travel in strange patterns are the, the least strange thing we encounter in our lives. Surely. I don't think the world so is compli- The world is complicated enough already. Why introduce more worlds to all of that? Can Meredith lean over to Potentia at this point and just be like, is this guy for real? Like, that's not even remotely the point, right? You're telling me that there are thousands upon thousands of stars out there and the gods have an interest in a select few, six at most. That seems to catch him by surprise. First, you both try to have us believe that there is one other world and now you're saying there are millions, potentially billions of worlds out there. You're well aware of the number of wandering stars, are you not? You call yourself an astronomer, but you don't know how many wandering stars there are. Pretty poor form. You're saying that all the stars could have worlds around them. Well, I believe that's a fairly obvious logical conclusion, is it not? Why would our why would our star be the only one to have these planets? Again, I think you I think you find your place in the universe somewhat special when it ought not to be. <laughs> I feel like that elicits an ooh from like some members yeah, of the of yeah, the like definitely. the crowd are just like woof. <laughs> yeah. Woof. And then we all just kind of like turn expectantly to the the half elf. I can see that I came here for a conversation about wandering stars and the truth behind them, and you aren't interested in that truth. And he, go, he, go, like, he goes what? to like, he, he goes to leave uh, and some of the people like with him also. Um, but then there are like people in the background who are like, Aah! and they toss popcorn down at him as he starts walking out of the, the, the lecture theater. And as he, as he leaves, uh, the audience like claps and Professor Kegstone like looks at you, Harold. Uh, so that he like he's only facing you and you're the only person who can see him and he just mouths we did it uh, i'll probably address the audience and say um you know we're aware that uh 
we're going to need a lot more observations, uh, you know, to to fully uh, flesh out this this theory and, and and make sure that it holds true across multiple of these wandering stars. We're aware that a single data point is not entirely evidence upon itself, but it's certainly a solid framework from which to form a hypothesis. Uh, if you would like to collaborate and help us find suitable locations to make uh, more observations, then uh, please come and, and talk to us because we, we would be delighted to do so. Harold is correct. Um... If you would like to collaborate on further research, I, I am interested in taking on more students and always looking for other academics who are uh, wanting to collaborate on further research projects. Thank you for your time. And he goes about starting to collect the, the slides. Harold, how do you how do you feel on? After all that, yeah, pretty good. I think Harold expected there to be some um, uh, motivated resistance, but um, I think I think a lot of the time in science, it's actually like it's not the one person who just doesn't want to change their mind it's that you have to persuade. It's actually like the people mm-hmm. who aren't actually quite as invested in it as you, because they will be the ones who like have no skin in the game at the end of the day. Like they, they have the most objective picture of, of the, the field because they're not married to a certain hypothesis. Like everyone, everyone likes their mm-hmm. own hypothesis and it's even, even when you're being as objective as possible, it can be hard to like go, ah, oh, actually maybe not, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Meredith, potential. Meredith is beaming. She's so proud of her friend. Potentia's watching the jerk go. Like he he's he's left the auditorium. The but in that way that like once someone's actually left, you don't necessarily stop looking at where they mm-hmm. went. He presses a keg stone, gathers his things, and there's a few people like milling around wanting to ask him further questions and, and like shake his hand and talk to him and, and get further information. Um less of that for you, Harold. There, yeah. There's not really anyone's kind of yeah. So you you just kind of help with the packing up. Yeah. Well, he has enhanced ability for another 30 minutes, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to take the, the sign that you would put outside and it's being ripped in half. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, are Meredith and, and Potentia here yet? Yeah, they've, they've made their way down um, as, the, the, as the lecture theatre starts to empty and the next group starts to come in. I probably, I probably on seeing the... Um, seeing the sign ripped in half I don't say anything but I just sort of turn to the others and just grin in that I won <laughs> way <laughs> Meredith is like you did so good Ugh. I mean I, I was expecting some level of resistance it's just you know you tore him to pieces well done I just you know I I, I hate the idea that people think they're somehow more important than others uh, I think if that were true, certain recent events may not have happened, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just... You stuck to your guns. It was so fun to watch. Oh, my goodness. Wasn't it Potentia? Well, uh, I, I think this is actually my first proper conference. I hear that the refreshments are normally one of the main benefits of such a thing. So, uh, Meredith's eyes go wide <laughs> yeah. as, as sources. And she's like, refreshments? I think we find out what's going on in that department. <laughs> you are talking to a Meredith-shaped, Meredith-shaped cloud. <laughs> like she's off. 
Yeah, Meredith shoots out the room, <laughs> uh, leaving a, like a Roadrunner-style <laughs> cloud behind her. That's all, folks. Yeah. Oh, uh, Harold and Potentia, you <laughs> follow after her. Despite her, her little legs, she moves quickly when there's food involved. Mm-hmm. Don't get between Meredith and food. And free food. No. Um, so you get over to, to get the, the, the food. There's a lot of little, little sandwiches, like little sandwiches, little pastries, um, fruit, little biscuits as well, and tea, lots of tea and coffee. And Meredith is already, like, stacked Bowing to down. Play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait. Oh, no, did I just give Meredith an excuse? Guys, <laughs> guys we got to try this apple-filled thing. It's delicious. Oh, my goodness. And this, this, like, blueberry Danish thing. Oh, I love it. Where is, would it be called a Danish? Anyway, it's fine. It's just so good. It's got, like, sugar syrup <laughs> on the top, and it's been, it's all, like, puff pastry and... Mm, we need a disclaimer on our episode when Meredith eats food. <laughs> like, do not listen if you are already hungry. Yeah. <laughs> do not listen if you don't like the sound of people eating. Also that, sorry, right. but also not sorry. <laughs> Just canonically, Meredith has snacks at all times. Therefore, Joe is allowed Absolutely. to eat. That's, yes. It's role playing. That's what she's doing. I love that my addiction to, like, my aversion to being hangry is um has become a character trait for her now. Yeah. I think it was a character trait for Meredith like day 1. Pretty much. Did I ever tell you that my circus um fam discovered that I got so hangry that they used to like double check that I had snacks on me at all times for hmm. public exhibition days? <laughs> oh yeah, pex pockets were a thing. Yeah, pex pockets absolutely. were a thing. They were like, "Joe, do you have your your nuts and dried fruit?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> full of nuts, pocket full of gum. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, you gather around having some refreshments, some snacks, and uh, Harold, you spot someone you probably didn't expect to see here. Mm. Um, Yenrol, the PhD student that used to be under Professor Kegstone's uh, tutelage. Whose mm. name we definitely remembered. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'll probably totally. spot him uh, and and sort of gesture for him to come join us. Uh, hello, it's nice to see you again, Harold. It's been uh, some time now. Yes, I wasn't really sure if I'd see you again. I I assume you uh, couldn't uh, couldn't square away your disagreements with Kegstone. No, our academic pursuits are unfortunately of a differing nature. You know, it's uh, it's a little ironic, isn't it, that he's fighting so hard for his uh, his theory that, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want to hear, and yet he's not very receptive to yours. Well, I mean, travelling to the moon's pretty outlandish. I mean, you know, if I've learnt anything from our endeavours, I actually think it may be quite possible, to be honest, so... Yeah. Hey, this is your friendly Dungeons & Doctorates DM, Ben, back from holiday and here to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and to use the hashtag DNDoctorates when you talk about the show. I always love interacting with fans, 
and I've really loved interacting with my uh, co-players and the DM from Jasper's Game Week this week. It was a blast. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, you can watch it on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, just follow the links via our social media. But check it out because I had a blast. We have a special message to be read out on this episode of the show. Uh, and it's being read by Potentia. So I will pass it over to her. Hey, uh, Potentia here. Um, I have one more Miso message uh, this week. The message is for uh, Nedward and William um, from the amazing Lala. Uh, and she just wanted me to let you know that she appreciates spending time with you both and hopes that they can have a lengthy discussion about squids as familiars again soon. So I really hope, Nedward and William, that you're really enjoying the podcast and definitely have some more conversations about squids as familiars. Certainly a very interesting subject. I'm sure I've got a book about that somewhere. Hold on. I also think about squids as familiars or as a character. I have a really interesting player character idea for a squid, but we'll get to that at some point in the future, perhaps. If you would like a mid-show message to be read out, on the show just fill out the form via our link tree or on our social media it's really quick uh, you can also find the form on our website dndoctorates.com just fill out that that quick google form and uh, have one of us deliver a message for you the next episode for the show is coming out next thursday the 26th of may so keep an eye out for that i'm not going to hold us up any longer let's get back to this episode right now I'm sorry, I, I haven't introduced myself. Um, he turns to Potentia and Meredith. Uh, <laughs> Harold is just historically terrible. At remembering to introduce people? Yep. Do-do-do-do-do-do, <laughs> standing here. But then again, it's a uh, conference. That happens yeah. a lot. Uh, I, I'm oh, yeah. General Chesswood. It's, what does this person look like? like? So, this, so General Chesswood uh, is human. He looks to be a similar age to Harold um like scruffy kind of brown hair which he's tried to comb into something that makes it look neat uh like you know kind of that like bright green eyes um a bit of fuzz which he's tim like trimmed on his face uh he's an academic in terms of um like he has not spent a lot of time out in the wilderness um He's kind of that lean um, build. Uh, and he he's looking like he, he needed the snack and he needed this coffee. Mm. Um, and uh, he looks like he's been standing on his feet all day. He's got that kind of like that, that like shifting from one foot to another as he's mm-hmm. like here on the, the floor standing next to you. Got a decent passive insight. I'll uh, I'll take that. Uh, you you have a poster here, uh, do you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I submitted it before changing. Uh, well, uh, submitting my application to change um, supervisor, and it, I don't know if it still counts as astronomy. It might end up being in um, like an artifices conference in the future but yeah um he points i've got a a a poster and actually um wasn't 100 percent clear on the the rules so i brought in some extra stuff um i'll i'll make my presentation again um after i finish this this sandwich 
At the um, the mention of the artificer, she's uh, Meredith like perks up and goes, "Oh, I'm Meredith. Hi. Did you mention um, did you mention what your research was about? Can you tell me more?" Uh, well, I'm going to be giving my presentation again soon. If you wanted to come over and and have a listen, yeah, um, absolutely. Where can I find you? Uh, well, we can we can walk over together if you don't if you don't mind waiting. Yeah, of course. Sure. Um, sorry, I didn't catch your name, Miss. He turns to you, Potentia. Miss. <laughs> mm. I've just been called Miss. Makes me crawl. It's fine. I know. Ugh. Potentia. She's sizing him up. That's nice to meet you. Um, I'm going to roll an insight for him because you, you, Kate, visually shuddered at the term miss. To be be fair, that is not because, that's not because Potentia would, that is because Kate is a teacher and getting called miss drives me Uh, up the wall. So that's got nothing to do with Potentia. That's everything to do with, Potentia doesn't react. That's everything to do with Kate. Yeah. Okay. Potentia doesn't doesn't react. All right. I imagine humans trying to interact with elves. It's like, I don't know how old you are. I'm just going to pick a generic term here for a woman or a man or like just you sir miss also miss is just so infantilizing can we just ditch it completely out of uh ma'am or just like Uh. not anything just like go what's your name and look significantly at the person that you're talking to (laughs) like Mm -hmm. sorry i don't have strong feelings about this no don't know why we would um no anyway sorry it's nice to make your acquaintance uh, are you he a colleague of, of Harold? Uh, she sort of looks to Harold for prompting for what the definition of what it would be would be. Like, um, we're not really colleagues. We actually met during uh, the sort of, you know, the postgraduate orientation and we've sort of just all become friends since. Uh, ah, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Those events are great for meeting people. And it's actually... Re- We're a sort of renter crowd, aren't we, Harold? Yeah, well, essentially, yes. We, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's actually just nice to have people who aren't just uh, immersed in the same thing as you are as well. Yeah. It can get a bit much when everyone just sort of has the same conversations all the time. It's nice to hear about something else. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've... Um, coming to kind of... Well, I was going to say the end of my PhD, but now I don't know uh but i can tell you what i'm tired of people in my office talking about the weather (laughs) Uh, so any conversation i can have that doesn't involve uh conversations about the weather uh good for me you know I'm, i'm i'm hoping eventually to be able to uh make that conversation moot by just controlling it myself uh I have some way to go in that regard yet, but ah uh, yes, yeah, I've I've um I've heard druids, some powerful druids can can do that kind of stuff. Yes, I I, I think I have a long way to, to go before I am capable of that, but uh, at least I can predict the weather. Uh, I I don't have to, you know, get that, into speculation at least, which is nice. Uh, that would make you very popular in the uh, astronomy society, knowing which days are going to have good good weather for observation. Yes, well, don't don't tell them. I uh, I I. I I kind of keep that one to myself. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Uh, well, you, know, you can trust me. I'm not going to reveal your secrets. Yes. Uh, you know, sometimes you just don't want to... Uh, I just don't want to be the person that everyone asks all the time about it. No, I understand. Uh, so you, you, you know, finish up your snacks, I guess. Meredith maybe 
goes back for a second plate. And fills her pockets. Yeah. Um, before you will make, well, before Yenrol goes to head over to his poster presentation, do you all follow? I will. I mean, I definitely want to, um, yeah, go and support the presentation. Is Meredith going? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to, like, clarify. What do you mean by presentation? Uh, this is to Yenrol? Yeah. No, 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 to you, Ben. So he isn't just standing next to his poster and having people look at mm-hmm. it. Um, he's doing like a mini version of what Cakestone's doing. Where he's right. like every, you know, 10 minutes or something, he might be giving a short version of his slides and telling you what what it's about. Okay. Because the way that it's worked from, in my experience is that you kind of, you have poster sessions so you go up to people and you like go around and scan them and people stand next to their poster and, and have a chat and kind of say, hey, do you want me to talk you through what I did? And um, that kind of thing. It's a lot more informal than like kind of like a street show, I guess. I've done yeah. both. I've done, I've done the yeah. sort of session thing and I've also done the one where like there's kind of like a poster presentation and it's like a little five minute Well, I guess it depends on how many people are interested, right, at a given time. Yeah, yeah. But I've had ones where it's like a specific, like, thing where it's just like, you know, everyone takes it in turns just to do the little five-minute, like, stand next to it. Here's the spiel. Um, So it's like a semi-organised sort of thing. Yeah, but but I've had it... That's really good. Yeah, I've had it both ways, though. Um, I don't know which one I prefer, honestly. It can get a little tedious when you keep saying the same thing about the poster all the time. Oh, my gosh. So sometimes the presentations are nice, but... You still have to, yeah. even if you do a presentation though, you still have to stand next to it and like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. receive people to like, you know, talk about it. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, eh. I mean, you're talking about repeating the same presentation over and over again to a teacher and just like people who have done the science circles. And people who work in science centres pr- and just like, yep, would have no idea how, how that goes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, so, so Yenrol's been doing this five minute presentation every 15, 20 minutes or something like Doing it, answering questions, taking a break, doing it again, answering questions, taking a break. And if you get a potential, are you also following? What I was going to say is if Meredith is going, I am following the three of them. I'm not going actively, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're just kind of tailing along. Um, so you go over to, to Yenrul's poster and it's it's more than just a poster. He's uh, He's got stuff. He's got a lot of stuff here. Um and judging by how the the neighbors to his uh, poster have shuffled further away from him, mm-hmm. you may be getting the impression that uh, every time he gives his presentation, he draws a bit of a crowd. Mm-hmm. Because what he, he has here is he's basically laid out this like circular, like 10 foot wide rug underneath his his poster presentation yep and he's placed like four like five barrels around his like his his presentation slides like sitting on side under this carpet um as well as there is some kind of strange looking arcane device with cogs and gears and things whirring away um, which he's standing next to. So he's uh, standing next to his his poster and 
a, a crowd of people starts to form around him uh, as he begins to start talking. And his poster is entitled, Traveling to the Moon, No Longer a Fantasy. And so he's he's talked about this sort of with you, Harold. Yeah. Um, but he he's, he's basically laying out a plan on how to get to the moon and how to survive once you get there. And there's a piece of this that interests Potentia probably because he's talking about using a uh, artificed creation to cast teleport. Yeah. And gathering a group of people to travel to the moon using the spell teleport as well as he will point out in his presentation that this circle, uh, which is is drawn uh, onto the 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 rug here, is a circle against good and evil. Uh, because, as he elaborates, we know that there is definitely undead and spiritual activity associated with the moon and legends tell that that is the domain of the goddess of life and the goddess of death so any travelers to the moon must be fully prepared to deal with undead ghosts and spirits and things they don't he doesn't know what the conditions of the moon would be like so he's also got the area of the rug enchanted with endure elements to help people deal with the the hot or cold environments of of the moon he's also got a number of barrels worth of provisions food water uh he suspects that the amount that he has here would be enough to support a group of four five people for several days uh he says that his teleportation device which is still a work in progress uh, which with the assistance of the artificers um department here on campus you have to once traveling to the moon the device requires 24 hours to recharge and depending on if you are on the light side of the moon or the dark side of the moon will impact I imagine very greatly your your stay there because the moon ha- if one side of the moon is lit for about 14 days and then it transitions to a night side of the moon kind of kind of it it moves around the the planet There's no such thing as a light or dark side of the moon there's a near and far side Yes well, there is a side that is in the sun and a side that is not in the sun. Yeah, that's very true. Which but it's you could not a su- colloquially call a light and Except a dark it's not side. a side because it, it changes depending on where it's positioned around. But In the same way that there is a, a day side and a night side of the, of the Earth. Um, Professor Kegstone comes up behind you, Harold, uh, and he's... Like, you can see that he's been listening to this presentation, mm. but he's also... Like, not wanting to be seen. Yep. <laughs> and the 
the general vibe of the audience is that they are interested in in whatever's happening here but a lot of them don't really understand why someone would want to go yep such yeah. a dangerous environment potentially they, like they don't know if it's dangerous or not and they're like why would we go to the moon we know about the moon we can see the moon we can study the moon there's no there's no need to go to the moon these astronomers say with no uh other schools of science here to be like we want to go to the moon for all these reasons can i roll to find figure out how much potential knows about the teleport spell because kate the player knows a lot but i don't know Mm. how much potential knows give me an arcana check Natural 20 plus 6. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, Potentia knows the full description of the teleport spell as it would appear <laughs> online or in a book. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Potentia's going to wait, but after the session she's going to ask him a couple of questions. So after he's, like, finished. Yeah, so the, the crowd starts to thin out as he's as he's finished his presentation. Um... Did you say you're using effectively like a, a straight teleport there and back? Are you not worried about like targeting and getting there neatly? And well, I'm. Uh, that is a concern. Um, I can't say that I am familiar with. And he he like smirks. I can't say I'm particularly familiar with the specific environment, but I do know uh, what the moon looks like, and I have studied it through a telescope. So I, I mean, I'm relatively sure that with a teleport spell I would appear somewhere on the moon that's not the same as appearing where you intended to appear that's that's a much bigger risk than what you're advertising to people I'm not well I'm not I'm not advertising it as a a holiday destination I'm talking about an expedition can I I know about half of like Harold's character definitely knows about half of what Ross is thinking Okay. Uh, I'm I'm going to roll an Arcana check to see what I know about teleport spells from like adventuring journals and like people who have had teleporting accidents. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't know how to cast the spell, but I would know of like the consequences. All right, that's eighteen. Yeah, so you okay. would know that there are like mishaps. That yeah, can happen. Um, so I'll say, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong. You know, I I. Uh, I don't know how teleport spells work exactly, but, you know, I've read about people teleporting somewhere they didn't quite know properly and ending up somewhere else, you know, sort of dangerous. But um, one thing I have heard about is, uh, you know, um, scrying spells. Could you not transport an object that you were aware of uh, to the moon uh, and then use that object to scry on your location and in that way you would have intimate knowledge of the place you are aiming to teleport and maybe reduce the chances of uh, uh you know some kind of mishap happening yes definitely the the issue with scrying is that you're only able to see a small area around an object um sure. which from i have i have conducted a few initial tests um it appears to be some kind of desert environment um but if you'll see here and he he, he like opens up uh the device that he has on the center of this mat this rug this this stone at the center here 
I have been told is actually a stone from the temple of life and death, which supposedly exists on the moon. And with this object, I, I should be able to get much closer to at least that structure. But you're still talking about like a, a potential's not letting go of this. It's like, we're still talking about like a, what, like one in three to like, oh no, maths. One in three to like four in 10 chance of something going incredibly wrong. Well, I, if incredibly wrong in this instance just means that I... Push people out into space with no possible way of getting back? No, no. Travel to the moon somewhere on the surface. Potentia it, knows about uh, teleportation mishaps and that's what mm-hmm. she's getting at. No, I mean, we're talking about... Because, okay, Potentia, you would know that the, the mishap is not just like... Uh, Carto- not just cartography. It's, not just, it's yeah. not just like compass directions, north, south, east, west. It can also be up, down. Yeah. But you, you could Ooh. literally launch someone into space with no no possibility of return. You could you could put them in the middle of the moon itself, like buried in the surface. Meredith is like she winces <clears throat> and makes a face and is like, Ooh, no, thank you. Like I understand, I understand research for research's sake, but. You're talking about something that's potentially incredibly dangerous. Uh, with not a high with not a high lack of likelihood that it would be. A man steps out of the audience and says, she's she's right. This 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 sounds very risky. Um, he appears to be a wizard of some description. Um I I don't think that a trip to the moon is You've said it yourself. It's it's some kind of desert environment, right? That doesn't seem like a pleasant place, and a teleportation accident sounds sounds even worse. I, I mean, I don't disagree that the prospect of going to the moon and the capacity to do it is there. I just don't know that this is the way to do it. I mean, there are. This is um, general. There are always risks involved when when any kind of. Uh, expedition or, or, or progress and as he's talking um Harold you hear some something in like in the audience somewhere that it catches it catches your ear and you're like what what is that it's this like very subtle kind of giggling noise mm-hmm. and for a moment there was a, a flash of pink do I recognize this giggling noise? Give me a wisdom check. Uh, just straight wisdom. Yeah. 24. Yeah, you've... That's the same kind of noise you heard when those those gremlins were around. Mm-hmm. Flick my head in that direction. Oh, man, do I want to do this? Uh... I don't know, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a of an aggressive move in a group of people. Uh, Since when has that stopped us? Let's be realistic. (laughs) Since when has a bit of an aggressive move in a group of people ever stopped us something something 
Beastie Burger, Russ. <laughs> Beastie mm. Burger. <laughs> uh, also, I, I'll, I'll retroactively, I'll make this wizard um, Vathar, the one that Harold was talking to about Supernova. Mm. No, I won't do it, but I'll, I'll sort of like quietly move in the direction of the sound that I heard. Like, what, what is that? You're about, you're about to go and investigate further. At the corner of your eye, you see this half-elf push Professor Kegstone forwards towards uh, Yenrol's presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kent Kegstone is a pretty sturdy guy, uh, but unfortunately, rolls very low on his dexterity save, so he's shoved over and falls down uh, like in front of this arcane device. Uh, you turn to to see this happen and like you see your your supervisor like stumble to the ground. That giggling rushes past you. Mm-hmm. And there are suddenly pink sparks coming from this arcane device. And it lights up and this arcane bolts of energy start arcing out from it. Potentious steps off that. If the second that there's anything happening near it, because she's not stupid. Give me a dexterity saving throw. 13. You half step off the mat. There is an incredibly loud pop, and everyone needs to make a constitution saving throw. Uh, 22. Natural 20. 19. That one. Okay. (laughs) You are no longer in the conference hall. You are no longer on Ferromasters University campus grounds. You are no longer in the city limits of Ferromasters. You're not on the continent. You're not on the planet. You are on the moon. (laughs) 